Is that good? Oh, that's good. I, I must have done something to it backstage. Um, hey, great to see everybody. How, how many of y'all feeling like we're getting back sort of to normal? I mean, isn't it exciting to start feeling like life is coming back to us? And um, one sign of that is that next Sunday our cafe will be reopening. Yay! If you're a coffee lover, I don't care about coffee, but I love the smell of coffee in the morning. Um, but Jimmy Sue and her team are uh, going to set things up. There will be some precautionary things they do just to try to keep it safe, but we're going to have a cafe that's open next Sunday. And also, I want all of y'all to welcome Judson Simpson back. Welcome back, Judson. Now, for those of you, and I know some of you are new to the church uh, since Judson was here last, but Judson uh, has had a couple of bouts with cancer, and he was not able to get out, and not able to, he, he needed just to be away from people with all of the treatments and things, but I believe he's done with those treatments, and Judson's looking real good, so I hope all of you will welcome Judson. He is doing the sound today, so thank you, brother. We love you. Good to have you back. Uh, I do want to mention to all of you that uh, Greg Robertson's father passed away this week, and I ask you to be in prayer for he and his family. And also remember this special love offering that we're taking up today. Um, we want you to make sure you put that uh, in the box on the way out, uh, or you can do it online. And this is to help our missionaries in Togo and India with Central India Christian Mission and uh, we're excited about doing something to help out with those causes. Um, one last thing before I get into the message, and that is several of our members are over in Rwanda today. Uh, they were worshiping with the Christians there in Kigali, and um, I want us to continue to pray for them. So far, the trip has been great, and I'm very jealous. I am very jealous of them because yesterday they went on their safari trip into the Akagara uh, Reserve, and they saw a baby elephant. I've, I've never seen a baby elephant. That's not fair. I've been four times, and I've not seen it. And they also saw a pride of lions, and uh, Frank has never seen a pride of lions before. So, uh, but that, that's neither here nor there. Their teaching begins tomorrow. So we want to pray for them because the real reason they're there is to help these students be able to pass this entrance exam so that they can take these courses from Mid-Atlantic Christian University and they can become legal pastors. Because a church that doesn't have a legal pastor is going to be shut down by the government. So they have to have legal pastors in order to worship and so we pray success on our team. So we can do that this week, right? Everybody going to pray for all of these things. Thank you very much. Now, today we're continuing with our series entitled Culture Shock. Uh, Jesus taught some things that were truly shocking to his culture. But you know, when we read these things today, they can still be a little shocking to us. Our Core 52 lesson this week out of this book, Core 52, focused on Jesus' teachings on righteousness. Now, if you don't have this book, and I know some of you are just now getting back into coming to church and everything, if you don't have this yet, you can still order it. 
This coming week, we're in Lesson 20. I just want to encourage you to do that. Some of our small groups are using this book as a study guide, so, uh, and we're preaching about it every week. So I do encourage you, if you don't have it yet, go ahead and get it. You can order it online. Tell me you want one. I'll get you one if you can't do it otherwise. But today, our lesson is about righteousness. Now, let's think about it. Do you know what righteousness looks like? Do you know what righteousness? Let's just find out if you know what righteousness looks like. Now, in this picture, we have a person. And I want to ask you a question. Is this person stealing money or are they giving money? Is there any way you know of telling? I mean, depending on when you look, <laughs> you, you might be able to tell. But sometimes we make judgments about things, right? So I can't tell right now whether that's a righteous person or an unrighteous person. How about this next picture? Okay, we have a guy in a suit. He's nice. He's got a big smile. He's reaching his hand out, right? Looks all clean cut and nice. We have another guy who's in a hoodie, right? Now, can you tell which one is righteous or which one isn't by the way they're dressed? You might make an assumption, well, this guy, he's got his hand out, he's smiling. He could be a con artist, right? Stealing you blind. And the other guy might be ready to pray with you at the end of the day, right? You can't tell by looking. And here, here's a, another picture, a nice-looking couple, right? This could be a picture in a church directory right here, right? They're all dressed up. He's got a nice tie on. Uh, this is a picture of a couple. They're named Rosemary and Fred West. Oh, the look of righteousness. In 1994, they were found guilty of torture, abuse, and the murder of 10 teenage girls. How in the world could there be evil in these people's hearts? You look at them and, and you, you see a normal couple. How about this next picture? A, a dad with his daughter going fishing, right? What, what a nice dad. What a great dad. Now, this is a picture of a guy named Dennis Rader and his daughter. He was the president of his Lutheran church. Outstanding citizen in every way. Serial killer. When he was convicted of 10 murders, his neighbors and his family were in shock. So you look at pictures, who is the righteous one, who isn't? I mean, you can look around, see how people are dressed. You can make judgments about the color of people's skins. You can make judgments about the language people speak, but you can't tell who's righteous or who isn't. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were considered to be the most righteous of all the Jews. <laughs> At least that's the way the general public saw it. They certainly considered themselves to be righteous, even more righteous than everybody else they thought of themselves, which, if you think about that, that's sort of the problem, right? 
Something wasn't right. Something was missing. Often when you try to judge a person by what they look like, or sometimes by some snippets of what they say, or even sometimes by some of the religious observances that they are involved in, you could be wrong. (laughs) The difficulty is that you can't see the heart. And when I say heart, I'm talking about mind, heart. Jesus made it clear that righteousness is not something that springs from the outside in, but from the inside out. The Pharisees did a lot of things on the outside, in public, that looked good. The religious things, they were missing what was even more important. So friends, today I want to tell you this. If you want to be righteous, I mean if you truly want to be a person that is righteous in the eyes of God, Focus on the heart, not on the actions. I'm not saying that actions aren't important, but if the heart isn't right, the actions won't be right the way they need to be. You can't be truly righteous in the eyes of God unless your heart is where it needs to be. Righteousness springs from a heart that is truly seeking God. It's not something we do so that other people will think we're righteous, but it is actually who we are. Our actions certainly come from our thoughts. If our thoughts or our hearts are right, our actions will follow. But if our thoughts are evil, at some point, those evil thoughts will come out in action. And this, I believe, is the point Jesus was making to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, this is our verse for the day. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Woo! This seems a little unachievable, doesn't it, at first glance? I mean, these are the most righteous people you could imagine, the Pharisees. I mean, that's the way the Jews looked at it. After all, they gave all the right gifts. They were in the temple every week. They prayed the right amount of times every day. And their prayers were so eloquent. I mean, when you heard them pray, oh, you just sort of gushed at what they said. They They served more than anyone else served. On the outside, they certainly looked to be more righteous than anyone else. Later, Jesus would have this to say about the Pharisees. Sort of shocking when you think about it. Everybody thinks Jesus, oh, he was such a loving. He never said anything bad about people. Come on now. You know, you listen to what Jesus said about the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23. You you go home today and you read all of Matthew 23. I'm just going to give you a little snippet. But in verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I mean, he said this publicly. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will 
also be clean. Woe to you, teacher of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of dead, uh, of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as what? Righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You see, it was obvious to Jesus that the Pharisees only cared about appearance. They only cared about what other people thought because that was about keeping them in power. They didn't really care about what God saw or thought. They wanted to check off the boxes of righteousness without seeking true righteousness. They wanted to look clean on the outside, but they were really filthy on the inside. Their hearts were far from God, even if their actions made them appear to be close to God. And Jesus knew this. So after challenging the people to seek after a different kind of righteousness, in other words, he said, you think the Pharisees are righteous? You got it all wrong. Your righteousness needs to surpass that of the Pharisees, or you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And then Jesus expounds upon what he's saying. He gets a little specific. Now, Jesus would use this phrase or a derivation of this phrase. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago. In other words, the old covenant may have said this, or what you've heard is the teaching of the old covenant from a long time ago. These were the regulations and the laws. And then Jesus would expound on it, and he would say, but I tell you. In other words, Jesus had the authority to tell them, this is what God thinks, because Jesus is God. The Pharisees prided themselves in their ability to obey the laws of the old covenant. But you know, just obeying some of those laws didn't mean your heart was right. These laws are what Jesus was referring to when he quoted what was said in the past. So, first of all, to be righteous, we must get rid of a heart of anger. In verse 21 and 22, we're going to read that in just a second, but Jesus is going to talk about, expound upon what this means. Now, I dare say that we've all been angry from time to time. Anybody here ever been angry? Anybody? Anybody want to be honest this morning? We're going to talk about honesty a little bit later. But uh, anybody, if we want to be honest, now we can say that we've had some anger. We may not think it was so bad. Well, hey, I've never murdered anybody, Right? But what did Jesus have to say about hatred? Anybody here ever felt hatred towards another person? Well, listen, Jesus said in verse 21, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Well, we can all agree to that, right? Murder is a bad thing. Bad thing. Verse 22, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. That was just a nasty little thing to say to somebody. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, culturally speaking, this was a shocking statement. Think about it. To equate anger or hatred with the actual act of murder 
seems crazy. <clears throat> Jesus, he has lost his rocker here. One is an outward sin against a person, right? Murder. I mean, that's pretty obvious. You have gone away, long way from righteousness when you murdered somebody. I mean, we all understand how murder could be frowned upon and punished. It should be. But hatred and anger? Why in the world would that be the case? Well, when you look at that person's heart and how they feel about other people, and they look at that other person, and in their heart they have this anger and this hatred. They're not seeing the other person as a creature of God, as a child of God, as a, a person created in the image of God. They're looking at that person as their enemy, and they begin to hate them. After all, that person did something to hurt them, right? Most of the time when you're angry or you have hatred towards somebody, it's because they did something to you that hurt you. So anger and hatred many times are a result of pain that you've been through. And Jesus is suggesting, not just suggesting, he is telling us that if you have hatred in your heart, if you have anger in your heart, that is just as if you have murdered. Why? Because the murderer has had hatred and anger in his heart. That is just the outward expression of the inward thought. So if you think you're clean because you haven't murdered somebody, you could check off that righteousness box. I have not murdered anyone. But in the eyes of God, you have sinned. So we need to replace that hatred with the heart of Christ, the heart of grace, the heart of forgiveness. We're going to get back to that in just a second. Now, the second thing is we need to, uh, to be righteous. We must get rid of a heart of lust. Woo, he's just getting down into it right now, right? Verse 27 and 28, we're going to read in just a moment. We all recognize that cheating on a spouse is wrong. Anybody here want to deny that fact? I mean, I know that we live in a culture that basically says anything goes, you know. But we know deep in our hearts that this is wrong. Many do it because they're only thinking about their own desires and not considering their spouse. It's a, it's a very selfish thing to do. But Jesus made a shocking comparison that I don't know that anybody can live up to. He said in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Hey, I can check that box and I'm clean and righteous, right? But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. Woo. That's a tough one right there. That seems crazy, even in our culture, right? Because everyone lusts. At least, at least I hadn't committed adultery. <laughs> it ain't going to work with God. Think about what Jesus is getting at. When you lust after another person, not only are you cheating on your spouse it mentally, but it's as if your heart and in your mind, if you had the opportunity 
you would go through with it. The adultery is an outward act following an inward thought or feeling. You see, your thoughts come out in the action. You are thinking of another person in a way that simply gratifies your own desires. You're not thinking about that person as a human being who was created in the image of God. You're not thinking that if I go through with this or I'm having these thoughts about this person and so I'm just sort of, I'm just sort of diminishing them and making them an object of my own lustful desires. And I need to replace that heart of lust with a heart of purity, a heart like Jesus. You know, I, I'm going to suggest several things because I think this is an issue that everybody has in some way or another. But consider the person that you are looking at and lusting after as a person created in the image of God, and understand God knows exactly what you're thinking as you're thinking it, all right? Now, if, if you were in a room and God was in the room or Jesus was in the room and you saw a pretty girl come in, what would you do? <laughs> you might look away. That's a good thing to do. Just like Joseph, remember Joseph? When uh, uh, the Potiphar's uh, wife kept coming after him, Joseph eventually ran to get away from her. Hey, sometimes we got to run, got to turn, got to bounce your thoughts, your eyes, start focusing on something else. But think about the fact this person is a person created in the image of God. They are not there to satisfy my desires. They are here created by God to satisfy his desire for them. And maybe talk to a godly brother or sister who can pray with you and for you and hold you accountable for the thoughts. And we need godly people to talk with. This is not something to joke about. A lot, a lot, our culture jokes about this. Our culture thinks this is funny. Our culture in the locker rooms in America, it's all about conquests. It's not conquest, it's sin, right? That's not popular, and it sounds crazy. Why is lust a problem? Even if you haven't committed adultery, you could still be guilty of sin. You have treated that person as an object of your own desire, not as a child of God, and you have treat, cre treated God with disdain as well as your own spouse. So we got to change our heart. Jesus would go on to explain what all this meant. To be righteous, we must get rid of the heart of divorce. Did you know that divorce was a fairly common thing in the days of Jesus? <laughs> I think sometimes that's shocking in fact, the Old Covenant, God made provision for divorce. But I want you to listen to what Jesus said in verse 31. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. 
And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Wow, that, that's, that's some shocking things for Jesus to say. I mean, the, the, the old covenant allowed for divorce. Well, I gave my wife a certificate of divorce so I can still check off the righteousness box. Jesus moved the marker, though. Now, according to a law, the law, a man could divorce his wife, really for just about any reason, as long as he gave her a certificate of divorce. Now, why did God allow this in the Old Covenant? Once again, we turn to Jesus for the answer in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 5. Jesus said, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. It was the hard-heartedness of men. In verse 6, Jesus said, But at the beginning of God, creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It was always God's intention that marriage be a lifelong bond. But men's hearts were hard. They would get rid of their wives for any and every reason. Maybe she wasn't as pretty as she was when they first got married. Maybe she burnt the toast. Maybe she didn't roll up the toothpaste. Well, I don't guess they had toothpaste back then. Maybe her breath stank. I don't know. But he won't look at himself, that's for sure, because his breath probably stank just as bad, right? Remember, in that culture, women were often at the mercy of men. Men ruled everything in that culture. And so the certificate of divorce was to protect the woman and allow her to remarry and have a life. That's why God allowed that. So as long as a man gave his wife a certificate of divorce, he didn't feel guilty for the divorce. He could do what he wanted to do regardless of what God wanted him to do. <coughs> he didn't care about the righteousness of the act. He just wanted to appear before everybody like he is righteous. And in marriage, God wants us to become attached at the heart. It's not just about a physical attraction. It's not just about a social attraction. It's not just about a material attraction. The heart is the matter. And we need to cultivate that heart to make sure that we take care of each other. How many people in here have been married longer than 20 years? Raise your hand. Woo-wee. How many of y'all been married longer than 30 years? Raise your hand. Man, you old people. How many of y'all been married in here for more than 35 years? Raise your hand. 40? 40? 45? Anybody 45? Where? Who? Well, there and Island. How long y'all been married? Woohoo! Yeah! I, I think, is Skip and Edna back there? How long y'all been married? Ho ho ho! Hey, y'all are getting there. <laughs> Woo! That, that's something to shoot for right there, 65 years. And I'm, I'm telling you, 
they are, they are like this. It don't mean that they always, everybody gets along all the time, okay? But it means you work through all that stuff. Your hearts are connected. Now, to be righteous, we must also get rid of dishonesty. Uh, oaths were often taken, but, but it was sort of strange. Like in, in that day, the Pharisees would tell people, you know, uh, you take an oath, but don't take the oath by the temple of God, because that's not really binding. But if you take the oath uh, and you bind it with the gold in the temple, now that's binding. The whole idea of an oath is that I have to swear by something to get somebody to believe me. Jesus said in verse 33 of our text, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, the heart of the matter was this. We shouldn't swear at all. Why? Well, if you think about why people swear, it's so that they can get people to believe them. Do you think liars are willing to swear? How many liars have you known who will bring everything out of the toolbox and swear by everything under the sun just to get con artists will do this all the time? Jesus' point is that we ought to just be truth-tellers. If you are honest and you have a reputation for being honest, you don't need to swear. You hear what I'm saying? People will believe you. They will take you at your word. If you say yes, they believe it. If you say no, they believe that. And so, friend, if you have a problem with honesty... If you have a problem with telling the truth, if you have a problem with smudging the truth to make yourself look better or to get somebody to do what you want them to do, that's called manipulation. And that is sin. What we need to do is just be honest people. By the way, I don't believe this is referring to an official oath in a court of law. Some people have used this to say, well, I'm not going to take an oath. Even Jesus answered the high priest's questions when he was under oath. So don't go to court and say, well, I don't have to do that, okay? That's just my opinion. You can believe what you want to believe. But have a heart of honesty. That is the righteous way. If you have a heart of honesty, that is righteousness. To be righteous, we must get rid of the heart of vengeance, too. This is certainly a hard one, even in our culture. When someone strikes us, we want to strike back. In fact, we want to nuke them, right? You don't want to just, like, do eye for eye. You want to, like, do two eyes if they took your eye. We want to make people pay. And you know what this is all about? This is about our ego. This is about our pride. There may be a sense of justice in this. Okay, I get that. 
But most of the time, it's really about my pride. I don't want somebody to get over on me. Once again, Jesus said something that was shocking in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Man, Jesus makes it tough, doesn't he? Jesus called for his followers to respond differently to evil people. Rather than retaliation, Jesus is calling for self-sacrifice. It doesn't sit well with our egos. It doesn't sit well with our macho attitudes about how I'm supposed to respond. Was Jesus a wimp? Is that what he was? Oh, no. Jesus wasn't a wimp. He was more man than any one of us was. A slap on the cheek? Let him slap the other cheek, too. That'd probably shock somebody, wouldn't it? They punch you in the cheek, and you say, okay, well, hit this side now. <laughs> that, that would be shocking. They want to sue you? Well, let them. And even give them more than they are asking for. Now, that's craziness. Roman soldiers back then had the power to force a person to carry their equipment. So they could be walking along the road and see a Jewish peasant and say, here, carry my shield, or here, carry this, and make them walk a mile with them. And Jesus says, well, don't just walk a mile. Go an extra mile, which is now a common phrase to describe going above and beyond what someone has asked you to do. Go the extra mile. You want to be righteous? Don't respond the way everyone else does. And maybe don't even respond the way your ego and your pride call you to respond immediately. Don't respond out of selfish anger. Be humble in your response. If someone has mistreated you, it hurts. I know. Jesus knew that too. But what did Jesus do? He practiced exactly what he preached as he hung on the cross. What did Jesus say? Father, what? What did he say? Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. A heart of righteousness will adopt the same point of view Rather than getting revenge, pray for that person that God would act in their life or allow God to bring about his own vengeance. And believe me, if God does it, it's far worse than if we do it, okay? But he wants our hearts to be different than the rest of the world. He wants us to seek after the righteousness of God, not what people will say is righteous. I could check off that box. Well, I never killed anybody. I never uh, committed adultery or, I, you know, he hit me first. <laughs> but what is true righteousness? To be righteous, we must get rid of the heart of hostility. You know, we, we live in a pretty hostile world, don't we? I mean, every day on the news, all you got to do is just look. If you look at somebody wrong... If you look in somebody's eyes, you have offended and you better watch out. 
Now they have the right in their mind to attack you. And I think this was certainly the case for those living in Jesus' day. There was plenty of hatred to go around. I mean, the Jews hated the Romans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews hated their own tax collectors. Hatred was not only present, but it was expected. You better hate the Romans. You better hate the Samaritans. You better hate the tax collectors if you're going to be considered righteous in this community. And into this culture, Jesus said this shocking thing in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this is an interesting statement Jesus makes because nowhere, nowhere in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law, does it say, hate your enemy. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said. The Pharisees had taught this. You could read the old law, all you want to, and you won't find it. I do have a belief and a feeling that the experts in the law had expounded upon what God had said, love your neighbor as yourself. And since God didn't say anything about your enemies, maybe they had added, oh, and you can hate your enemy too. But Jesus was clear that that was not the case. And Jesus used several illustrations to prove his point. And in fact, he says, God is in control of all nature. Nobody questions that. But his son rises on the, on the evil and the good. God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The unrighteous love only those who love them. Get that, right? A person who is unrighteous will love their family. You, you read about some of the, the most terrible people in history, and many of them will have shown love and affection to their own family members. It, it's a crazy thing. Even the tax collectors that the, the Pharisees and the Jewish people hated, loved, their own family. If you're going to step up to a righteous life, you have to be different from the rest of the world. You have to have the mindset of Christ. And what is the mindset of Christ? What does the Bible say? For God lo so loved, what? The world. Even those who hate Him. This is the amazing thing about God's love. Romans 5, 8, we read, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Now, do you think you would allow your own child to die for somebody that hated you? No way. But that's exactly what God did. And in verse 10 of that same chapter, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Now, what does that tell us? At one point, you were an enemy of God. Did God hate you because you were His enemy? Did God just look for every opportunity to crush you and send you to hell? No. God has done everything He can to save you from hell. He loved you even though you acted like His enemy. In His heart, He desired to love you as His child and for you to love Him as your Father. The Pharisees were all about checking off these boxes in the Old Covenant. They were all about making a show of their religion. They would wear the right clothes. You know, people that think you got to wear a suit and tie to please God when you go to church. Listen, that's the Pharisees. They, they wore these things on their head called phylacteries, and every time they would memorize a scripture, they would put something in it. And some of those guys would wear these big boxes, and, and that would be a sign. I am more righteous than you because I've memorized more scriptures than you have. But Jesus was clear. If you want your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees, the key is it's all about the heart and not about the actions. If the heart is right, the actions will follow. You will treat people the right way. Anyone can put on a good show for a time, right? You can walk into a church building. You can wear the right clothes. You can put on the right perfume. You can smell good so people aren't looking at you. And, and, and you can smile and act nice. And when you get in your car, you can cuss up a storm and blast your family out and do all of that stuff. And other people won't know, but God will know. Living a righteous life means seeking an inner connection with Christ. I want to live as Jesus lived. I want to think as Jesus thought. I want to serve as Jesus served. I want to love as Jesus loved. This is not about checking off a box of, do, box of do's and don'ts. It's about my heart desiring to be a person that God wants me to be. Checking off a box is more about looking the part so that other people can see me. Well, what other people think doesn't matter. What God thinks matters. Seeking a genuine connection to God is about changing my heart. You know, there, there seems to be this idea today that if you have a moral center, if you have good ethics and good morals in, the, in your heart, that somehow you're robbing yourself of really experiencing life. I mean, you, you ought to be out there doing all the crazy and wild things everybody else is doing to have fun. Fortunately, there are numerous examples that prove that that doesn't have to be the case. And I, I read about one young lady growing up in the spotlight comes with its own unique challenges, especially if you're raised to have a moral standard different from that which is in Hollywood, okay? This young lady named Kiki Palmer, some of y'all will remember her. She knows a thing or two about navigating the challenges 
to her own personal identity. Palmer grew up as a Disney actress. You might remember her from Aquila and the Bee, right? As you know, Disney child actors and actresses don't always fare too well when they get into adulthood, all right? There's this rebellion against the, the, the image that they've created, and they sort of go like the, the pendulum swings way over on the other side. But Palmer went on to star in films like Ice Age and Hustlers, and recently she shared a message with her Instagram followers about what it really means to stay true to yourself. She said, growing up, I was often teased for being wholesome, which could be another word for righteous. The, the shows I acted on, the fact that I had a bedtime on tour, and even sometimes the way I spoke. What I hated most was that people assumed that because of all these things, I somehow hadn't experienced life. In a parallel post on Twitter, she wrote, I don't know who needs to hear this, but there is something wrong, lame, or corny. What, excuse me. But there is nothing wrong, lame, or corny about being wholesome or being righteous. She is right. The key to that righteous life is not focusing so much on the things I do as focusing on the way I think. Jesus can transform our thoughts and our hearts, change the way we think so that our actions will follow. If you want to be righteous, focus on getting your heart right with God. Father, thank you for the teaching of Jesus. He pointed out the hypocrisy of legalism, just checking off boxes so that people will think that we are righteous. He revealed that true righteousness springs from our hearts. And so, Father, I ask you, Father, to change our hearts this morning. Somebody's here and they're struggling with some heart issues. In fact, probably every one of us here has some issue that we're having to deal with. Help us change the way we think by focusing on Jesus. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus act in this situation? Father, if we would ask ourselves those questions and seek to make those same choices and seek to be changed in our hearts. If following Jesus uh, or in following Jesus, our hearts change and our actions change, we can discover true righteousness. And Father, we're not here to please anybody else but you. Help us to be genuinely righteous in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, living a righteous life is a good thing. I would say it's a good thing. The true joys of life come as we seek after Christ and His righteousness. Now, look, you may want to talk to somebody about how do you get to that point? You know, how do I come into relationship with Christ? If you have any questions about that, if you need prayer, if you just want to talk to somebody about some things that are going on in your life, uh, I'm going to invite you to come up. Uh, I'm going to be right down here. Uh, I might have some other elders if you guys want to come down. But if you want to talk to somebody, why don't you come down as we sing, and we'll be glad to talk with you and pray with you, okay? Let's stand. Let's sing.